Hey there. Hey there, and welcome to episode 103 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. Now, this is, of course, a podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. Now, if you are a returning listener, welcome back. And if you're new around here, allow me to introduce myself. I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM on all socials. Why not head on over to Twitter where you can follow me at Sir DRJM and you can reach out to me. You can bring me questions, comments, topics, whatever you've got for the show as they relate to Overwatch, of course, the Overwatch League, Blizzard games, or just video games in general. I'd love to bring it to the show. Now, you can, of course, find this podcast and all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, and all that jazz. And of course, I also encourage you, if you enjoy what you hear on One Man Watchpoint, to check out the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast, available on podcast services everywhere as well. Ready, Set, Pwn is your premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant in the Overwatch League. And of course, if you do dig the Overwatch League, you can also catch special episodes of Ready, Set, Pwn, which uh, we've recorded over the past couple months, including interviews with Sean Miller, head of the Overwatch League, Baroy, GM for the Vancouver Titans, Casores, head coach for the Toronto Defiant, and of course, Papa Punk, who is uh, Punk, the main tank for the Vancouver Titans' father. And, of course as well, an interview with Till Vetterman, Director of Global Team Operations for the Overactive Media, who of course is the uh, parent company of the Toronto Defiant. That's right, you can catch all of that and more over on the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast. But, you're not listening to Ready, Set, Pwn, you're listening to One Man Watchpoint. So, let's kick things over to the news and talk about a little bit of Overwatch. I think your flights may have been delayed. Now, of course, our first story here is going to take us back a couple weeks. That's right. As we are currently in the off-season of the Overwatch League, we are recording episodes every other week. So what does that mean? That means sometimes we have a little bit of time to cover the news. Now, luckily for us, there hasn't been too much Overwatch news going on, with the exception of, of course, the Pro-Am West Tournament, which uh, has been ongoing for the past two weeks in our last episode of One Man Watchpoint. We, of course, previewed the first week of matches in the Pro-Am West. Uh, we've now had two weekends of play in the Pro-Am, and we know what our final will be. So we'll, uh, sorry, we know what our final weekends, uh, weekend tournament will be. Uh, so we'll we'll move into that later on in the show. And of course, outside of that big news around the Overwatch scene is, of course, the recent unveiling of Lifeweaver, the uh, latest hero to join the roster in Overwatch 2. So as I mentioned, we've got a few things to cover from the old we've got a few things to cover from the new and of course we will also take a look at those past matches in the pro-am west and what's upcoming this week so first we're going to head on over to dexerto.com with an article by luis mira which reads los angeles valiant confirm owl roster for 2023 overwatch league season and this was of course published on march 23rd so just shortly after our most recent episode dropped let's read the Valiant have picked Tank, Crowey, Damage Dealers, Seeker, and Nos, and support Paintbrush, CJ, and Liar for the 2023 season, as confirmed by Liquipedia two days earlier. The announcement of the roster came just hours before the team's first match in the Overwatch League Pro-Am tournament. In a lighthearted Twitter post, the Valiant played along with the joke that the organization had lost access to the account. Quote, 2FA can be hard to crack, the Valiant wrote in the announcement post. 
The Los Angeles Valiant ended 2022 with a 7-17 regular season record in the Eastern Region. Before the end of the year, the organization parted ways with its entire roster in an announcement made only on Chinese social media platform Weibo. For 2023, the Valiant are returning to the West Region, a move that comes just two years after the franchise moved to China and was placed in the hands of LGE. Despite a disastrous first year in which the Valiant went winless over the course of the 2021 season, owners Immortals Gaming Club renewed the partnership for 2022. In September 2022, Overwatch reporter Halo tweeted that LG had missed, quote, multiple salary payments to players and staff. When parting ways with the Valiant, coach No Hill said that he was put into debt while taking charge of the team. The Valiant are slated to take on Saints on March 23rd in their first match in the Overwatch League 2023 Pro-Am Tournament, a $100,000 preseason event featuring franchise, uh, sorry, featuring franchise teams and contenders squads from the West. They then have, just to recap, Los Angeles Valiant's OWL 2023 roster, Seeker, Nos, Krawi, Paintbrush, CJ, Liar. So, interesting news. Obviously wanted to bring that one up as we have been waiting for the roster announcement for the Los Angeles Valiant. And I believe, if I am not mistaken, that basically solidifies the final roster that we were waiting on with the exception of one, which I'll talk about in a second here. So, of course... The two teams that were kind of dragging their feet, or seemed to be, at least in the West, were the New York Excelsior, who did announce their roster uh, just before our previous episode, uh, going into the Pro-Am West tournament, and then, of course, the Los Angeles Valiant. So the Valiant roster had been rumored, the New York Excelsior one had been rumored, but a little bit less so. Um, In any case, we now know what those rosters look like. And the other side of it is, of course, we were waiting to find out who that sixth player might be on some of these squads, just because uh, the league minimum for a full team or a full roster is six. However, it does seem a fair number of teams are opting to go for the five-player minimum with one staff being officially listed as that sixth player. So, you know, to shout out those teams, we'd have the Dallas Fuel. They currently only have five players on their roster. The Guangzhou Charge. Uh, the London Spitfire, the Vegas Eternal, the Seoul Dynasty, the Seoul Infernal, and of course the Vancouver Titans. Now, a few of those could still change, obviously. We could still see an announcement here or there for some of those uh, Eastern Region teams that I mentioned, just because they don't actually start play until, well, it would be this month, but I guess later on in this month when they have their own sort of contenders pro-am tournament thing that you know allows the contenders teams to actually bump up into owl and all that stuff but we'll talk about that you know further down the line so we could see some announcements there but obviously the one team that we still don't know an actual confirmed roster at all for is of course the Chengdu hunters uh there are rumors that that team may just be done altogether but who knows what exactly will transpire there so let's move right on and head over to upcomer.com with an article written by Michael Czar, which reads, Overwatch League expands Calling All Heroes, reveals Challengers series. After the success of the over or sorry, after the success the Overwatch League had with the Calling All Heroes tournament in 2022, the league is expanding it, growing from a tournament to a year-long series. Where everything culminated at the Challengers Cup, the Challengers series stretches into 2024. A successful way of increasing gender inclusivity. When first brought to light, the idea of highlighting marginalized players across contenders was an exciting one. A variety of teams formed together to try and make their name as the best players in Calling All Heroes. This gender-inclusive community held trials for a tournament over part of the year, all ending at the Challengers Cup. 
Not only did the tournament have solid viewership, but some talent caught the eyes of Overwatch League teams. Two of those players are Halo and Anion. They both won the tournament with Altiora Artemis and recently signed to the New York Excelsior. Both have their unique stories with Halo playing for the Boston Uprising in the past before coming out as a trans woman. As for Anion, she grew up as an Overwatch League fan of NYXL, even gaining notoriety after holding her own in an Ana 1v1 versus former League MVP Jonak. Expanding Calling All Heroes for 2023. As per the Overwatch League, 2023 to 2024 is where Calling All Heroes is expanding significantly. More importantly, there are now two key tournaments with qualifiers lasting just over a year. Starting in April 2023, the Challenger Series begins. Composed of both major and minor events, the Challenger Series will have teams compete in six events up until November. Then a last chance qualifier in January 2024 will culminate in a championship in February. The entire Calling All Heroes breadth is officially partnered with Radiant, a broadcast and content producing team with a focus on creating opportunities for women in gaming and esports. Lastly, along with the games comes the Speaker Series. This series is a focus on conversations with pros across the gaming ecosystem touching on gender inclusivity. So I wanted to bring this up because you do love to see this kind of thing. This is a great initiative uh, by the Overwatch League um, and by, you know, Blizzard as a whole. The really sort of, uh, or a really sort of interesting part of it all is that this really did spawn from sort of a much smaller tournament that happened uh, last season, right? I think they just saw such a, such a community grow behind it that they really said, you know what, let's take the reins here and let's let's uh, lead the charge on this. You know, I think this is kind of a, a really groundbreaking thing they're doing in terms of the actual uh, breadth of all this, right? It's not a, it's certainly not a small scale that they're doing this on they are they're blowing it up with it stretching all the way through into 2024 so very exciting uh very cool to see that you know some of the talent from that has now moved up to the overwatch league of course you know you know there's different opinions on how the new york excelsior went about doing that and or why um but ultimately this is what gives players who might not otherwise get the opportunity um a chance to get their foot in the door then, hey, I think it's a great initiative all around. Let's head on over to Dexerto.com again for an article, this time written by Declan McLaughlin, which reads, Activision Blizzard settles Department of Justice lawsuit over OWL and CDL player salary limitations. The United States Justice Department has filed and settled an antitrust lawsuit against Activision Blizzard for allegedly violating antitrust laws around salary caps for OWL and CDL players. Activision Blizzard has had legal action brewing around OWL and CDL player salaries for some time, as Jacob, Jacob Wolf reported in November 2022, that settlement talks between the Department of Justice and Activision had broken down over antitrust violations. The situation has come to a head on April 3, 2023, as the Department of Justice sued and settled with Activision Blizzard over antitrust violations in its esports leagues, according to multiple reports. The U.S. government says that the video game developer has illegally implemented rules to keep esports players' salaries down by penalizing teams that spent more on player salaries than the amount decided on by Activision Blizzard. This rule was called the Competitive Balance Tax. Quote, Video games and esports are among the most popular and fastest growing forms of entertainment in the world today, and professional esports players, like all workers, deserve the benefits of competition for their services. End quote. Jonathan Cantor, a Justice Department antitrust division assistant attorney general said wow that's a mouthful of a title the department of justice also filed a consent decree that would stop the developer from imposing any other rules limiting owl and cdl player pay 
Activision Blizzard denies efforts to limit CDL and OWL player salary. Activision Blizzard has denied that its salary agreement across its esports leagues, which were suspended in 2021, were in violation of the legal statutes. Quote, We have always believed and still believe that the competitive balance tax was lawful and it did not have an adverse impact on player salaries. The tax was never levied and the leagues voluntarily dropped it from our rules in 2021. We remain committed to a player ecosystem with fair pay and health care, sorry, and continue to have the least restrictive player mobility compensation system all across all of the major sports leagues, an Activision Blizzard representative told GamesIndustry.biz. The Department of Justice is just the fourth governmental body to take action against Activision Blizzard as the company has come under fire for union busting, employment discrimination, and restricting workers' rights. Owl teams have reportedly slowed down on promoting the league due to this settlement and lawsuit for its first event 2023. So, that's a little bit of an interesting one, isn't it? Once again, of course, it, it, the one of the interesting sides of it is the fact that Activision Blizzard is taking a stance of, look, we did do away with this in 2021, which I get. I mean, it is good that they got rid of this, this uh, silly competitive balance tax, as they call it. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean that it didn't affect the people before that, of course. Um, and, you know, that's to the effect of what the government is saying. They are saying you you basically made it m more difficult. Uh, you incentivized teams to not pay what they should be play paying to players uh, because they would have to basically pay extra for it, um, which effectively, you know, limits the player's ability to earn uh, as much as they could, right? So for all, for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, you love to see it. You love to see the government doing its job, taking action against these multi-billion dollar mega corporations. Not to say the government isn't one itself, but ultimately this is the government, I think, doing something that it absolutely should be doing, which is protecting the people that this, uh, this, this rule would affect the most, right? Anyways, of course, we also are not shy um, or, or, you know, we aren't uh, unaware of all the other uh, legal challenges that Activision Blizzard is uh, facing right now and all the other scandals that we've seen coming up and uh, whew, everything like that. Sure doesn't seem like a great time to be Activision or Blizzard, uh, really. Um, you know, aside from the, the video games they're putting out, it's uh, a little bit hairy over there right now. Anyways, let's move on. And we're going to head over to dotesports.com this time with an article by Jessica Sharnagel on April 3rd. And finally, we get to talk about our newest hero, Lifeweaver. The article reads, Blizzard shows off flower power with Lifeweaver, new Overwatch 2 support hero coming in Season 4. Overwatch 2's newest hero, Lifeweaver, has been introduced, and boy, is he a looker. The romantic-looking hero is the roster's first tie character and also seems to have a heck of a lot of utility in his kit. Lifeweaver Life is a ranged healer, according to a since-deleted article from PC Games N. The character's name is Niran Pruksamani, and he is a plant-based pansexual, according to the site. Players got, or sorry, players also got a look at him from Overwatch's official Twitter account, which said players will be able to learn more about him tomorrow. Now, here's the thing. Uh, this article went up yesterday. This is when they first teased him. Of course, as of recording, it is, in fact... Uh, April 4th, so we do now have the full details about him. Um, I will talk about that, you know, in a moment here. I'm just going to kind of cover this as if it had just been announced. The teaser photo comes just hours after there was a teaser tweet from the game with just an emoji of a cherry blossom. 
The emoji was likely a reference to the character's appearance, who has a wing-like flower floating off of his back, with what looks to be a cherry blossom holding it in place. Lead hero designer Alec Dawson told PC Games N that Lifeweaver will be a support hero that won't require a lot of, quote, aim skill to play him effectively. Quote, the aim was to create another support hero that didn't rely on aim skill, Dawson said. Lifeweaver is designed for players that care a bit more about their own positioning, their game sense, those are the skills they check on more than necessarily aim skill. That's a bit of an interesting way to phrase that. Anyways, since the healer doesn't require a lot of aim skill, his kit will likely be complex for players who usually rely on one to two utility skills and usually focus on their primary fire for healing and damage. Lifeweaver also reportedly has an interesting passive skill that triggers upon his death and leaves behind a healing item that others can pick up and use. Dawson told PC Games N that the hero will probably have a big learning curve for players to master him. According to what players know so far, it seems that Lifeweaver will be an easy-to-pick-up-but-hard-to-master support hero. Lifeweaver will be available at the start of the new Overwatch 2 season. Players on the free Battle Pass track will need to unlock him, while those who purchase the premium Battle Pass will unlock the ability to use him immediately. Now, as a side note, uh, they also mentioned uh, somewhere along the path of talking about Lifeweaver that... Uh, Season 4 of Overwatch 2 will be starting on April 11th. So, of course, this season will end, I believe... That might might actually be ending today. Uh, it might not be... I, I'm, I don't think they do immediately back-to-back seasons here. So I believe it's actually ending today. By the time you're hearing this, it's already over. We'll have about a week off, and then Season 4 will kick off on April 11th. But this was the first kind of teaser of Lifeweaver we had. And the really interesting thing about this, or a really interesting thing about this in my opinion, is the fact that I don't think this had leaked anywhere. I don't think they had really teased, talked about, leaked, shown anything about him yet. Uh, and then they just kind of dropped this. Hey, here it is. Here's here's a look at him. Um, you know, as the article mentioned there, he's got his hand extended towards you in his other hand. It appears to be somewhat robotic with a cherry blossom floating above it. And then he's got these large power, uh, power flettles, flower petals uh, extending out behind him with, of course, a cherry blossom in the center. Uh, overall, this design just looks fantastic. I think this character looks really impressive. And of course, now that we've seen some of his kit, I do believe his abilities are just as impressive. So let's head on over to Forbes, this time with an article by Chris Holt. Uh, posted on April 4th, of course, today as of recording, where we'll talk about Lifeweaver's abilities themselves. So, this article reads, Overwatch 2 new hero Lifeweaver's abilities and kit explained. Overwatch 2's new hero Lifeweaver has a compelling origin story and fantastic look, but what, will play, but what players will really want to know is how the support works in practice. So, Let's break down Lifeweaver's fascinating kit that promises to bring some new dimensions to what a support can do in Overwatch 2. Now, the other side of this that I actually didn't pull an article for here, um, but I will jump over to, uh, there is an origin story trailer that they've dropped for him. Um, so you can actually go look that up if you just Google, you know, Lifeweaver uh, cutscene or something like that. I'm sure you will find this. I actually haven't watched it yet myself, but I do plan to shortly after I record this. So, the article continues. The main purpose of a support is to back up tanks and damage heroes with healing, and Lifeweaver's primary file fire handles that side of things. It's called Healing Blossom. You can hold down primary fire to charge a burst of healing, and then release the button to provide some healing to a targeted ally. 
To defend himself, Lifeweaver will have to switch weapons, like Mercy or Torbjorn. His attack is called Thorn Valley. It emits a rapid-fire stream of projectile thorns, keeping in with his plant aesthetic. The thorns can deal critical damage. Lifeweaver's abilities are where things get really interesting. His right-click is called Petal Platform. This deploys a platform that can be placed on the ground. It can bounce off of walls first if you're particularly skillful. When Lifeweaver, an ally, or an enemy steps on the platform, it sends them upwards. If you jump just as the platform reaches its apex, you can get an extra height boost. Off the bat, this opens up a ton of offensive and defensive gameplay abilities. It can give a sniper an instant vantage point to land some headshots, or give the likes of Ana and Kuriko a clear sight line, clearer line of sight, sorry, to distant teammates for extra healing. It can also give your allies a swift escape from an enemy or displace an ulting opponent. As shown in the gameplay trailer, it can lift an Orisa to the sky to nullify Terra Surge. I'm not sure if it would work on a self-destructing diva mech. Next, there's another movement ability, but one that's only for Lifeweaver. It's called Rejuvenating Dash. This can quickly zip the support horizontally in any direction while providing him with some healing. Combined with Petal Platform, this makes Lifeweaver one of the more mobile supports, which should prove handy for both attacking and evasion. Life Grip. Lifeweaver's final core ability brings yet another fresh mechanic to Overwatch 2. It's called Life Grip. It puts a protective bubble around an ally while pulling them back to your location. Again, it's easy to see the kinds of situations this could be useful for. As the trailer suggests, if you react quickly, you can save a teammate before they get knocked off a map. You can also use it to quickly relocate an ally, such as an ulting reaper, or another teammate to help you out if an enemy is harassing you in the backline. I'm not quite sure how yet how the ability works vertically. For instance, you might be able to yoink a Reinhardt up to give him a different angle for an Earth Shatter. Life Grip could offer some utility to support as well. If a teammate wades a little too far into enemy territory, you could yank them back, or, and you didn't hear this from me, if the opportunity arises and one of your teammates is using a troll pick, you might subtly haul them above an abyss and send them back to the spawn room. Again, you didn't hear that from me. The Overwatch 2 team told me and other reporters a while back that they've tried to add an ability like this to the game for years. They finally figured out a way to include it in a way that hopefully makes sense in practice. Oh, Lifeweaver has a unique passive too. When he dies, he drops a gift that players can pick up. Here's an interesting wrinkle though. Both allies and enemies can pick up the flower, which provides a health boost. Allies receive more health from it than enemies do. Lifeweaver's Ultimate. Last but not least is Lifeweaver's Ultimate. It's called Tree of Life. Lifeweaver places a tree made of biolite that provides allies with an instant burst of healing as well as more healing over time. The Tree of Life also acts as cover and could be very handy for helping to capture or defend an objective. It could be used for trolling as well in a similar way to Maze Ice Wall, but spending an ultimate just to block an ally seems like a little much. More practically, you might use Tree of Life to block choke points and stop enemies from reaching the object objective during overtime. So, there you have it. Life, Life Weaver. Sorry, I always want to call him Life Wire. Life Weaver has a huge array of abilities that could upend the dynamics of Overwatch 2 and provide some killer new gameplay opportunities. Quote, the aim was to create another support hero that didn't rely on aim skill, end quote. Overwatch 2 lead hero designer Alec Dawson recently told reporters. I just read this quote. I'm not going to read it again. Life Weaver will be available when Season 4 starts on April 11th and will be free for a limited time before going behind the battle pass. I'll have some hands-on impressions of him later this week. So... Obviously, there's a lot to talk about. So I kind of want to break down some of his abilities here just, just a little bit. Um, the first thing that I find interesting is the fact that they, they equate him uh, in terms of his um, primary fire and secondary fire. So his primary fire being the heal and his secondary fire being his, uh, I forget what it's called, thorn, 
Thorn Valley. Um, they equate that to Mercy or Torbjorn, right? Uh, Mercy probably more more aptly, where her primary ability um, is using her Cacadius Staff. I believe that's what it's called. To heal or damage boost enemies. But if she needs to switch to a more offensive mode and pull out her little pistol, you have to actually switch the weapon, right? So I actually like that they're doing that with him, um, kind of giving him that... Uh, that distinction right just because it it does help separate things as a healer a little bit into hey you know i'm in heal mode now i'm defending myself um the thorn valley move actually reminds me a lot of ramatra's primary fire uh, where he uses his little staff to shoot the little nanobite things at you um i'm not sure how it equates in terms of damage i know there's a lot of uh, overwatch content creators have put out some really good videos about that already and how how his abilities work as they've obviously had a little bit of behind the scenes time with him um Karq being one of them definitely go check out Karq. it's k-a-r-q uh on youtube tiktok instagram twitter all those things um and you can really see what his breakdowns are like because he does a really thorough job of that um but it really does remind me of that and it's got some insane range just like uh ramatra's does but of course you know on a non-stationary target how much are you really landing so anyways interesting then we get into Pedal Platform, which in my mind is is maybe one of the neatest things that they've done for a hero in a long time. Um, you know, Ramatra was Ramatra is cool more so I'd say because of his aesthetic, because of um his 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 brawl ability. But this is really cool because of its a it's it's a potential to sort of change what any scenario um ramatra obviously again i'm comparing it to ramatra because he's our most recent hero prior to uh life weaver but is he yeah he totally is right i'm not crazy right okay no i paused and looked it up for some reason i had a moment there where i was like did kariko just come into the game but no anyways ramatra was the most recent one ramatra interesting uh abilities in the way he tr sort of changes form and overall how his ultimate um you know in the past could basically last forever obviously that's been nerfed quite a bit now um, and you don't really run into that too much but i think that life weaver has the potential to really change any fight whereas ramatra was a little bit more specific situations given that he was more of a brawl hero right um, and this pedal platform i think is kind of the start of that as the article describes you know the applications of pedal platform are obvious um, or at least some of them are obvious in that you could give someone a vantage point uh you know on your side either give your backline a vantage point to provide better heals give your frontline better vantage point to do some damage um even allow another path for maybe a flanking dps or a, even a, something like a sneaking sombra um obviously i think sombra would have to uncloak to trigger the pedal to rise but regardless you could see some applications here now the other side of that again as they talk about there in the article is you could also use it very much to uh remove something from the fight obviously an ulting reaper uh you know if you see reaper pop that ult you could drop a pedal beneath him and raise him up and in theory a lot of that ult is not going to hit whoever's on the ground beneath him the one that they do call it there that i'm really actually interested to see is how does this affect divas uh diva bomb if you know i i Obviously, we know that the Diva Bomb launched into the sky, hits things in sort of a 360-degree sphere, I guess, uh, 
uh, radiating out from the diva bomb. But does that platform actually act as a physical platform? And therefore, you could be standing directly under it and not get hit by the diva bomb, right? That kind of presents some interesting uh, and exciting, uh, you know, uh, applications, if you will. Um, and then, of course, there's obvious things like, uh, you know, getting around an obstacle, getting past something, getting uh, even into areas that, you know, you previously maybe couldn't quite get into. I do think that's going to be one interesting thing. Obviously, we've seen the May wall used to boost players. Uh, everyone remembers the the infamous, uh, who was it? I think it was the Florida Mayhem who used a May wall to get over some buildings on, which map was it? Uh, was it Monte Carlo, maybe? Or the Monte Carlo map? I can't even remember now. But they used the, the May Wall to get over a building so they could get a little bit of an advantage. And obviously they, that got ruled as a as an illegal play and everything. Anyways, that's in the over, Overwatch League annals of history. But I digress. I'm excited for this pedal platform. It sounds really neat. We then move into the... What was the next thing they talked about? Uh, his rejuvenating dash, nothing too exciting there. It's kind of like a mini Moira dash. Obviously, it doesn't catapult you as much as Moira's does. doesn't travel as far or anything like that. Um, I also don't really think it phases you. Uh, so Moira obviously can use that to, you know, avoid a pulse bomb, avoid a diva bomb, um, avoid many abilities, or really eject herself out of there. It doesn't sound like this so much does that. Um, it sounds more like this is really for movement. Um, I'm very curious to see what the cooldown on something like this is. Uh, it's obviously not going to be a tracer dash, so I doubt it. Uh, I mean, they don't talk about it having charges, so it won't be that frequent. Um, and it also gives them a bit of a bit of a heal. So I would suspect in playtesting there was something like they found that, you know, all of his abilities worked well or something like that, but he just really needed a little bit something extra to help him remove himself from a situation. Kind of in the way that Zen was not getting used a lot, and it was largely because he had no way to sort of get himself out of a situation, and so they gave him the infamous Zen kick, where he can really boot someone away from him, uh, you know, in a kind of the opposite way of many other heroes, where they have an eject button, and Zen was given a a reject button, if you will. But anyways, interesting little thing they gave him there. Then, of course, we have Life Grip, which protects, puts a protective bubble around an ally and yeets them back towards you. This one is another one of those ones that I think is going to be what really adds to Life Weaver's utility um, and really makes him fun to play. This ability to just yank someone. Now, they do show it off in the video... Um, or in the in the recording where they're they're showing his uh, his abilities and everything like that. Again, go check out Karku's breakdown of him. It's going to be very interesting to see how frequently this can be used. Again, cooldowns are one thing uh, that'll be interesting as we learn more. But the practicality of this is going to be very interesting, especially in open matches. Right? Obviously, we all know uh, playing solo is not the ideal way to play Overwatch Two. But it is probably the way most people play Overwatch 2. So really, how frequently are you going to be using this? How frequently are you going to know that, uh, hey, I need to yank my, my friend, well, my teammate, not necessarily my friend, out of a situation or just pull someone back? And how can you coordinate that, them, that with them? And the other side of it as well is, can you confirm this? Does it just allow you to yank anyone? It's... 
in effect, this is basically a, ro a Roadhog hook for your own team. So it serves the opposite purpose, whereas with Roadhog, you're trying to pull someone in so you can damage them. And in this, you're pulling someone in so you can, in theory, remove them from harm's way. Really interesting stuff here. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of awesome plays with this. We're going to see a lot of awesome awesome plays with this and awesome highlight reels and things like that, um, especially in the way that players will use it to avoid ults, things like that. So very, very exciting stuff. We then, of course... Uh, the article touches briefly on his uh, unique passive, which is interesting, but if I'm being honest, I see this as an ability that they eventually do away with. Kind of like the Reaper Orbs, kind of like the Torbjorn armor that used to drop and everything like that. Uh, maybe not so much because in theory this is going to be so much less frequent. Uh, you know, it's only when Life Weaver dies, the little, little blossom gets dropped and anyone can pick it up. Um, I do appreciate that anyone can pick it up. I think that's interesting. Um, but ultimately, I, I could see this kind of getting removed, honestly, because it just doesn't seem like it will be that useful overall. Then, of course, we get into the Tree of Life, Life Weaver's ultimate ability. I love this. I love the aesthetic of it. I love everything we've seen of it where, you know, this character is very defined by his colors and his style. It's this, this flowery or cherry blossom, very pink, very vibrant look, uh, pink white light kind of thing. The one thing that I did feel when I was watching the videos of this guy was, holy cow, there's a lot going on. And then we get to his ult when he drops a literal goddamn pink tree in the middle of the battlefield. And I kind of lost it because to me, one of the big criticisms of Overwatch 1, and especially as we had double shield metas and things like that, was the visual clutter of Overwatch. It was that Overwatch was hard to watch and follow what was happening, right? Um, I know there's many images on the internet, but my mind jumps to one specifically where I believe we had on both sides, or maybe on one side and one on the other, we had uh, a Sigma and an Orisa, both with a shield up. Now, Orisa's shield obviously been removed from the game, but still. We had a Symmetra ult uh, shield going across the battlefield. We also then had, I think, a May ice wall, maybe two, um, and probably some other stuff going on as well. And that visual clutter was very much like, even for someone who understands and follows Overwatch closely, this is a lot to take in. And I really feel like this tree of life is kind of moving back to that in a lot of ways. But at the same time, it's temporary. It's not going to be out for nearly as long as something like a shield, a Sigma shield, or, um, you know, even a Reinhardt shield. It is going to be limited. It is only going to be able to be used, you know, infrequently. Again, unlike the shields that we see on Reinhardt, on Sigma, etc., things like that. So it, it, you know, maybe they're willing to sacrifice a little bit on that side of things. And on the other side, if we look at, you know, a more direct point of comparison than even Ramatra, we look at Kuriko, the other more recent support hero added to the game. Of course, the interesting thing is Kuriko's ultimate ability as well. Very visual, right? We have the, um, I believe, I forget what, I want to say they're called Shinto gates. Um, I could be wrong about that, but we see the Japanese style gates drop. There are more than one of them. We see the path. We see the fox and everything like that. 
Um, we get large sound cue and everything like that. And, you know, everything kind of glows the color of your team or glows red or whatever if it's the enemy team. So again, that's a very visual alt as well. So I do find it interesting that they're kind of going with this sort of thing where uh, these ultimate abilities are very, very obvious. And maybe that's kind of more where they're leaning. The alts can be the big flashy things, which would make sense, right? Um, you know, that's where they want to draw your attention. Hey, look at this big play. It's when somebody's doing this fantastic thing. I mean, even you look at something like Lucio's Beat, which is obviously Lucio's an original hero. So, um, you know, a little bit less bombastic than I think most of the heroes are nowadays. But anyways, interesting to, to kind of see how that works. So I'm a fan of this big tree overall. Um, I believe they were saying on Plat Chat today that it has a thousand health, just like Bob, just like many other things. Um, also, it is very interesting that it does function very much like um, uh, like Orisa's old alt. Um, I forget what her, her little boombox. I forget what it was called. Um, but you know, this little object that you plant and it kind of assists all of those around you. Now, obviously, it doesn't boost you. It just heals everyone, puts out some healing, um, which is interesting. But I also appreciate the fact that it is a physical object and it again can be used for zoning, for blocking, um, and, and for really defending against a lot of things. So I do find that very interesting. And that's kind of our breakdown of Lifeweaver. Definitely, definitely, definitely go check out any of the articles, any of the videos you can find on Lifeweaver. Um, they're all incredibly cool to watch um, again i think the visual style that the game has had going for a little while now with these newer heroes really is something that is just blowing me away um honestly uh, you know i look at kariko and her style and i think it she was one of the most impressive ones you look at ramatra and Every one of these heroes has a clear theme and distinct look and, and visual aesthetic to them. And I mean, to an extent, Overwatch heroes always have. I think that is kind of a, a part of what really sets the game apart from others. Um, but again, you know, everything about this hero, like the abilities are bombastic. They're a little bit gaudy. gaudy. They're very cool and very very i don't know flamboyant almost whereas kariko is a lot more subtle with the exception of her alt um you know this character has so much more distinct uh visual style to it um i'm really looking forward to getting my hands on this this hero it's which is interesting because with ramatra i wasn't super interested but again i mean i typically play support characters so maybe maybe that's why but anyways that's my thoughts on lifeweaver now, with that, we're going to take ourselves a really short break here, and then we'll take a look at this past week's matches in the Pro-Am West Tournament, and of course, we'll also look forward to this upcoming week's matches in the Pro-Am West. Much better! All right, so first things first, we're going to re re rewind back in time to just after last episode of one man watchpoint of course just after episode 102 of one man watchpoint we had the pro-am west tournament kickoff so i won't cover these games too too much because at this point uh these matches were two weeks ago um i will go into this past weekend's matches a little bit as well um i won't go into them too too much because i actually didn't get to watch a lot of them unfortunately but then we'll preview the upcoming week's matches so 
first things first, week one of the Pro-Am West, things kicked off on Thursday, March 23rd, where we saw the Florida Mayhem beat the San Francisco Shock 2-1 in an impressive showing for the Florida Mayhem. We saw the London Spitfire then lose to the Atlanta Reigns 2-0. The San Francisco Shock then had a very disappointing showing, and the Contenders team Trick Room had a very exciting showing, beating the San Francisco Shock 2-1. The Vancouver Titans then beat Timeless 2-1. The Saints then pulled out a win against the Los Angeles Valiant 2-1. That's right, we then saw, or, or at that point, to close out Thursday, March 23rd, we saw our second contenders team win of the tournament on day one. I think the first one was the really shocking one with Trick Room winning. The second one, although maybe a little more um, expected, I certainly still don't know that anyone would have really, really, really predicted a contenders two contenders teams to win out over the Overwatch League teams. But hey, it happened on day one. On day two, Friday, March 24th, we saw the Atlanta Reign take out the Vegas Eternal 2-0. We saw the London Spitfire beat the Los Angeles Valiant 2-0. We saw the Atlanta Reign beat the Saints 2-0. And the Vancouver Titans beat Trick Room 2-0. And finally, closing out Friday, March 24th, the Florida Mayhem beat Timeless 2-0. I don't think there were anything, any real upsets or anything too exciting uh, or unexpected on Friday, March 24th. Then Saturday, March 25th, the Los Angeles Valiant 2-0, the Vegas Eternal. The Florida Mayhem, 2-0, the Vancouver Titans. In what was probably a a closer match for the Titans than a 2-0 would seem, um, Florida just looks very, very good and very, very strong right now. Obviously, if you've been following the league and what's happening in the Pro-Am tournament, you know that Florida looks like a force to be reckoned with. Uh, someone on the tank is just a menace. And of course, then you've got uh, the DPS line with, uh, with Checkmate, um, as well as Merit, um, and we even, uh, towards the end of the weekend, I believe, got to see Sauna come in for his first match, so really exciting stuff there. Moving on from there, the London Spitfire 2-1, the Vegas Eternal. San Francisco Shock beat Timeless 2-0. London Spitfire closed out Saturday by beating the Saints 2-0. We then went on to Sunday, March 26th, where the San Francisco Shock, uh, really coming back to form, beat the Vancouver Titans 2-0, and again, another match that I don't think necessarily... Uh, the score demonstrates how well the Vancouver Titans played. Um, I do think the Titans are looking much better than they ever have. Um, and I certainly don't think they're going to be a bottom, bottom team this season. Um, but hey, we'll wait until we get into power rankings to see where I really think they'll fall. The Atlanta Reign then beat the Los Angeles Valiant 2-0. The Florida Mayhem then beat Trick Room 2-0. The Saints beat the Vegas Eternal 2-0. And finally, Timeless beat Trick Room 2-0 in what was a stellar match to close out the first weekend in the Pro-Am tournament. So what did that mean? That meant that the Florida Mayhem the and the San Francisco Shock were moving on from Group A and the London, uh, sorry, yep, the London Spitfire and the Atlanta Reign were moving on from Group B, I believe. I believe those group names are right. Regardless, those four teams were moving on in the tournament. Um, the interesting thing about that is those are the four teams that actually played the first two matches uh, and all four of them moving on. So we then moved into week two, of course, with Thursday, March 30th, things kicking off with the Toronto Defiant flexing their muscles against Twisted Minds. And I think this was a great first showing for the Toronto Defiant. Um, 
I really think people might be underestimating them, and I was really impressed with what I saw. The Washington Justice then beat Team Peps 2-0. The Houston Outlaws then beat the Toronto Defiant 2-1 in, again, what was an impressive showing for the Toronto Defiant and a really exciting match. Um, I think Toronto at times looked like they could have beat Houston, especially that second match uh, where the Houston Outlaws, I believe, tied it up 1-1. I'm just going to check on that. If I'm not mistaken, Toronto was up 1-0. Let's see. Yes, I'm right. Toronto took Nepal 2-1. And then on Blizzard World, Toronto had Houston on the very edge of uh, being beaten. And unfortunately, uh, Houston just applied a little bit of pressure on the cart and uh, Toronto just backed off because they didn't have the firepower. I believe it was mostly their backline on the point. And unfortunately, because of that, Houston got the second map and then obviously Houston came back and took Esperanza. So anyways, that was a really exciting match. Moving on from there, still on Thursday, March 30th, the Los Angeles Gladiators 2 owed Wisp. And finally, closing out Thursday, the Houston Outlaws 2 owed the New York Excelsior. Friday, March 31st, we saw the Los Angeles Gladiators 2-0 Team Peps. We saw the Boston Uprising 2-0 the Los Angeles Gladiators. We then saw the Boston Uprising 2-0 Wisp to close out. Wow, that's it? Yep, to close out Friday. Um, if I'm not mistaken, actually, yes, we did have some rescheduled games uh, on this past weekend. And that's actually because I believe it was Redbird Esports had some uh, weather events happening at their facility. So they weren't able to play. Now, the interesting thing about a lot of this is that this is the first time I've been reading or I've had to read scores for Boston. And holy cow, did that feel wrong. Just as I came across that, and I read that first one, Boston Uprising 2-0 Los Angeles Gladiators, and then Boston Uprising 2-0 Wisp. It was like, it was hard for me to say, which is so interesting, but obviously my brain is so used to talking about Boston not winning. So that was really, it just felt weird coming out of me. Anyways, Saturday, no, Yep, Saturday, April 1st, we saw Wisp beat Team Peps 2-0. We then saw Twisted Minds beat Redbird Esports 2-1. We then saw the Boston Uprising 2-0, the Washington Justice. New York Excelsior beat Redbird Esports 2-0. And finally, to close out Saturday, the Washington Justice 2-0 Wisp. Then we moved into Sunday, April 2nd, where Twisted Minds beat the New York Excelsior 2-1. The Boston Uprising beat Team Peps 2-0. The Toronto Defiant beat the New York Excelsior 2-0. The Houston Outlaws beat Redbird Esports 2-0. The Los Angeles Gladiators beat the Washington Justice 2-1. And finally, to close out the weekend, the Toronto Defiant 2-0 Redbird Esports. And of course, that match uh, was in Ilios Blizzard World. Uh, Classic, if you will. So of course, Blizzard World, uh, you know, a bit of a redemption there for the Toronto Defiant. Interesting stuff. If I'm not mistaken, I believe the two or the teams that advanced from these rounds were the Toronto Defiant and the Houston Outlaws from group, whichever group they were in, I don't recall. And then the Boston Uprising and the Los Angeles Gladiators. If I'm not mistaken, the Washington Justice came close, but unfortunately their loss to the Los Angeles Gladiators and of course the Boston Uprising is kind of what settled it. Although they did get a map off the Gladiators, which is interesting. Um, A couple of takeaways from these games. Again, I actually didn't get a chance to watch many of these games. I caught the final match of the weekend there, Toronto against uh, Redbird. Um, And then I believe I caught the Thursday games and uh, some of the Friday games, although I didn't watch the Friday games too closely just because there were no teams that I was really invested in playing. But Thursday, 
Um, again, I thought Toronto was impressive. I think I hope that they surprised a lot of people with what they were able to do. Houston looked very good. Uh, they were extremely uh, impressive against Toronto, especially. Gladiators, I think definitely the Scrimbucks lied a little bit. Um, you know, the Scrimbucks said that Gladiators were going to be a struggle bus and were having a really hard time. I definitely don't think that was the case, although they did lose a map to the Washington Justice. But I also think that the Washington Justices, you know, can be happy with their performance. I don't think they were egregious. I don't think they were on the level of the New York Excelsior. I don't think they were on the level of, uh, you know, the weekend before that, the Valiant or uh, the Vegas Eternal by any means. So I do think that they were they were okay to, you know, say the, say the most. Um, Boston is, in fact, as seemingly as terrifying as everyone had suspected. Um, let's see, they had a 2-0 over Peps, they had a 2-0 over the Justice, a 2-0 over Wisp, a 2-0 over the Gladiators. So they were, you know, a force to be reckoned with, that's for sure. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they do continuing into the tournament, though. I don't think they were as dominant as, uh, you know, people may have expected them to be, but they certainly were good. So now let's take a look at our final weekend of matches as it turns out we don't actually have any matches on thursday or friday because this is of course the the tournament final in the pro-am west so things will kick off on saturday april 8th at 2 p.m with the london spitfire versus the florida mayhem i think this one's a no-brainer i think london is the weakest of the eight teams that made it into this tournament um and from there it's a bit of a question mark um if i had to pick favorite favorites I would probably say the absolute favorites, and again, this is a little biased because of the matches I did watch and pay attention to versus the ones I didn't. I would say the the top three teams are probably the Atlanta Rain, the Houston Outlaws, and the Boston Uprising. Um, again, I didn't pay too much attention to the Boston games, so I'd be willing to trade their spot with the Florida Mayhem, but obviously I watched all of the Atlanta Rain games, I watched all of the Florida Mayhem games, and I watched most of the Houston games. So... A little bit debatable if that's actually true or not. But regardless, I think the weakest team in this bracket is the London Spitfire, and therefore I think that they probably lose this match. I think the Florida Mayhem take it. So that is at 2 p.m. on Saturday, April 8th. Then at 3.30 p.m., now of course these times are mountain time, so if you are Pacific, they are an hour earlier, and if you are not Pacific, then figure it out yourself. Um, at 3.30 p.m., the Toronto Defiant take on the Boston Uprising in what I'm hopeful will be a competitive match, and I'm hopeful that Toronto will surprise some people here and be able to knock Boston down a pick. I think that would be that would be really exciting and a really awesome showing for them if they could do that. Do I think that's going to happen? Mm, from what I've heard, maybe not necessarily. So I'd probably give it to Boston. After that, Saturday, April 8th, still at 5 p.m., we have the San Francisco Shock taking on the Houston Outlaws uh, in what is sure to be an exciting match with... Uh, Obviously, former San Francisco Shock lifer Violet now playing uh, support for the Houston Outlaws. I'm sure he will be looking forward to facing off against his old team and uh, really giving them a run for their money. But were I a betting man, I mean, I would put my money on Houston in this scenario. Um, I do think that San Francisco didn't show up as the force that everyone expected them to be. Yes, there's ping issues. Yes, there's blah, 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 blah. Team hasn't been practicing, et cetera, et cetera. But I still think that people expected them to have a sort of natural cohesion and synergy because of their previous experience together or many of the players' previous experience together. And I don't think we've necessarily seen that yet. Uh, now, again, 
early, early on. Who knows what we will see in a month's time when uh, they are, in fact, all playing out of the same facility. They're all, you know, together each and every day practicing, et cetera, et cetera. So ultimately, my money would be on Houston in this matchup. Then our final game on Saturday, April 8th, of course, at 6.30 p.m., is the Los Angeles Gladiators taking on the Atlanta Reign. I think I'm going to pick Atlanta here again. I didn't watch a ton of the Gladiators play. What I did see and what I did hear, they were better than expected or better than rumored at least. But I think Atlanta was so clean compared to uh, even my own expectations. Um, you know, they looked like they were really gelling. And, you know, maybe they've even started practicing together quite a bit more than I think most people maybe expected. So ultimately, I think if I'm picking teams to advance here, um, it's Atlanta, it's Houston, uh, it's Florida. And the only real toss-up I have is the Boston Uprising and the Toronto Defiant. And I don't know if that is, in fact, my own bias towards the Toronto Defiant. It very well could be. On paper, Boston is a superior team. Um, but I really liked what I saw from Toronto in, in this past weekend. And I didn't watch really any of the Boston games. So that's that's kind of my blind spot there. Is Whereas I'm confident picking Florida over London, I'm confident picking Houston over San Francisco. I'm even confident picking Atlanta over the Glads, even though, again, I didn't watch that much of the Glads. Boston is the one team that is kind of a question mark still for me in this uh, in this arrangement. So based on those winners, we then go into Sunday, April 9th. Things kick off at 2 p.m. Mountain Time. Um, of course, those that matchup is TBD as we don't know who's going to win and advance in the tournament. The game following that is at 3.30. The game following that or our final is at 5.30, of course. Um, so ultimately, if I had to pick which teams I think we see in the, the absolute final, I would suspect. So I believe it will be... So winner of London, Florida, plays winner of Toronto, Boston. So I'm going to say Florida, Boston, which means I think Boston advances. Then I think it's Houston, Atlanta, which means I would... I'm going to say Atlanta advances. So I think we could be seeing a Boston-Atlanta final, which is exciting and which could be very interesting. From there, again, Boston is such a blind spot for me. Maybe I shouldn't pick Boston. Hmm, very interesting. I truly, truly don't know. I could see Atlanta taking this. Um, although I like Outlaws, I really like Outlaws. I think Atlanta seemed like such a clean team. They seemed clean, they seemed efficient, they seemed like they come in, they do their job, and they get out. Houston seemed a little more chaotic, and maybe that's because, you know, the one match in particular that I'm thinking of is Toronto kind of forcing that on them. But really, I think Atlanta could take it all. I'm 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 gonna put my money on Atlanta and say Atlanta wins the tournament, um, which bodes well for their season, obviously. That that would be really quite exciting if uh if that is how everything plays out. Now that's all we have today. So let's head on over and close things out. I hope the girl gave you more than a new coat of paint. Well, there you have it. That was episode 103 of One Man Watchpoint. One Man Watchpoint is, of course, an Overwatch podcast where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If you enjoyed what you heard here, head on over to Twitter and follow me at SirDRJM. Tweet at me, send me questions, send me thoughts, send me comments, send me whatever you've got. For the show, um, again, as it relates to Overwatch, Overwatch 2, the Overwatch League, Blizzard games, games in general, I did try the D4 beta, um, had a great time with it, even if I didn't play it too, too much. Um, I really like that kind of style of game, and I would actually really love to get into it, but I just know that I'm not going to be able to. Um, 
but yeah, hit me up on Twitter. Reach out to me there. Send me a DM, tweet at me, whatever you've got. I'd love to bring it to the show. I'd love to interact with you and talk about your thoughts here. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends and all that jazz, and share the good word of the one-man watchpoint. And of course, I also encourage you to check me out over on the Ready, Set, Poem podcast, your premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant. That's going to be it for episode 103 of One Man Watchpoint. So in the immortal words of Doomfist, Talk to the Fist!